got a little mic set up over here. I forgot to get it before the service, so here we are. I think we are on. And, uh, well, I usually say Boker Tov, but it's not morning, it's evening, so I'm going to say Erev Tov, not Lala Tov. Erev. Do it louder. Erev Tov. Erev Tov is good evening. If you were in Israel right now, you'd say uh, good evening. Now, tonight, before you go to bed, then you would say Laila Tov. So I love Hebrew. I love studying Hebrew. It's a beautiful language, and I believe it's going to be the language of heaven, the language of the kingdom to come, because if it was good enough for Yeshua, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Amen? Remember what that prophecy in Zephaniah 3.9, that God said one day he would restore a pure language, and that would be Ivrit, that would be the Hebrew uh, language that was single-handedly revived by one individual. Eliezer ben Yehuda single-handedly revived the Hebrew language, and Hebrew is the official language of the state of Israel today with Arabic coming in second and then English uh, coming in third. And so I will be going to Israel uh, June the 20th. I need all of you to pray for us. Uh, Dr. Todd Baker and I will be leaving for Israel to carry out the 54th Israel Gospel Outreach. No tour groups, just Dr. Baker and myself, just him and I, we are sent by Zola Levitt Ministries. They're located in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Zola Levitt was my mentor uh, back in the day. He was a Jewish believer who taught on Bible prophecy, the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. Uh, no one taught the Feast of Israel like Zola did out of Leviticus chapter number 23. Uh, he was my mentor over the years. He went home to be with the Lord in 2006. But his son, he doesn't do any of the Bible teaching or nothing like that, but his son works behind the scenes. And uh, it's that ministry that sends Dr. Baker and I over there to Israel to carry out the uh, Israel Gospel Outreaches. So we'll be leaving June 20th, coming back on July the 3rd. So we'll roughly be there about 13 days or so. And I would ask all of you to keep us in prayer, uh, that the Lord would open many doors for us, as he usually does. Open many doors for us uh, to share the gospel out there uh, with the Jewish people, as the Lord did with a Jewish celebrity out there back in 2017, I believe. The Lord opened the doors for Dr. Baker and I to actually share the gospel with Chaim Topol. You remember who Chaim Topol was? He just recently passed. Yes, exactly. Yep. Go to my YouTube channel. The interview is right there. The way the Lord worked it out was absolutely incredible. And uh, we were sharing the gospel with a lady at the uh, Dizengoff Mall in Tel Aviv. And uh, for some reason, we just got on the uh, subject of Fiddler on the Roof, one of my favorite uh, movies. And um, she said, well, you know, uh, Chaim Topol lives right here in Tel Aviv. I'm like, is that a fact? Yeah. He lives right here in Tel Aviv. I bet you I can get his phone number. I'm like, go for it. And so she's on the phone. She's talking in Hebrew. And then I notice she's writing two numbers down. And so finally she writes down two tough numbers, rips off the paper. She goes, here you go. I'm like, for real? His number? Yep, that's his phone number. So I called the first number. It rang and rang and rang and rang, and nobody answered. So I'm like, this ain't going to be. I dialed the second number. It rang, rang, rang. I was just about to hang up until somebody picked up. And when the person picked up, I hear, hello? I said, uh, hello. I said, is, uh, is this Chaim Topol? Uh, yes. Who, who's this? I'm like, you don't know me, sir. My name is August Rosado. I'm from the United States. I said, we are at the Leonardo Hotel here in Tel Aviv. Uh, is it possible for my friend and I to sit down with you and, uh, and interview you about what you've been doing life after Fiddler on the Roof? And uh, he said, uh, when do you want to do it? I'm like, for real? Yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, what about today? He goes, no, I can't do it today. What about tomorrow? Tomorrow, 1 p.m. So got it all set up. I notified the management of the Leonardo Hotel we were staying at in Tel Aviv. They thought we were pulling their leg. I'm like, no, I just talked with the guy on the phone. He will be here at 1 p.m. tomorrow. He says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a suite ready for you. We're going to bring fruits and juices and everything else up there. We'll have it all set up for you to do your, your interview. They had it like presidential style, you know, a, a chair there and a chair there with him sitting in the middle. And then we had, of course, the video cameras and everything all set up. And he did show up on the nose at 1 p.m. And uh, when we walked into the lobby of the hotel, people were taking flash. I felt like a celebrity for like five minutes. Everyone, the flash bulbs, everything was going off. We ended up going up into the suite. Uh, we had somebody in front of the door to stay there. So no one would walk in and disturb us. 
and, uh, and we interviewed him for what, one hour, and we had the opportunity to share with him the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did he get saved that day? No, but he heard the gospel. Amen. That seed was planted, amen. So the Lord, the Lord opens many doors for us out there in uh, Israel to share the good news of Jesus the Messiah with Israeli Jews and with Israeli Arabs. Another one of my favorite places would be in the Golan Heights at uh, Mount Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in Israel. It's about 9,222 uh, feet high. It's called the Eyes of Israel. And that is where the transfiguration of Matthew 17 took place. Below that would be Caesarea Philippi, where Peter confessed Jesus to be the Mashiach ben Elohim, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then chapter 17, Jesus takes with him Peter, James, John to a high mountain. Two disputed places, Mount Tabor, which is not the site, but many believe that's where the transfiguration took place. It did not take place there. It took place on Mount Hermon. There is an IDF base out there of Israeli Defense Force soldiers. And Dr. Baker and I go up there with uh, snacks and with complete Hebrew Bibles, Jewish gospel tracts, and we share the gospel with these IDF soldiers. A couple of years ago, one of them looked at us and he said, hey, I remember you two guys. You gave me a Bible. And you gave me all this literature. I just want to let you guys know that I am a believer in Yeshua HaMashiach. He is my Savior, and he is my Messiah. Soul winning in Israel is totally different than what we do. Uh, you can't take that Western thinking and take it out there. It's got to be done delicately, amen? It's not illegal to go soul winning in Israel. It's not, you know, it's a big misconception in the church right, that it's illegal. It is not illegal. Israel is a democracy, amen? You have freedom of religion. Uh, you got freedom of worship. You couldn't do that in Iran. You couldn't do that in Saudi Arabia. But you have freedom of worship there um, in Israel. And so we have many doors that are open for Todd and I when we go out there sharing the gospel. And we'll be teaching Bible prophecy on location after our day of evangelizing that will upload to my YouTube channel. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel as well as my uh, Facebook page. So, again, pray for us uh, June 20th to July 3rd. Uh, this will be my 34th trip to the land of the Bible, the land of promise, prophecy, and in the future, primacy. Because one day, Israel will be the head of the nations and not the tail of the nations as she is right now. Because the kingdom will emanate from the land of Israel, from the holy city of Jerusalem as earth's capital at that time. Based on Jeremiah 3.17, one day Jerusalem will be called the throne of the Lord. And Jesus will sit on David's throne and what he would say in Matthew 5.35, Yerushalayim, Ereshel HaMelech HaGadol, Jerusalem, the city of the great king. Because one day the king of kings and the lord of lords will reign from that very city. So we do appreciate all of you standing behind us, supporting us with this, and uh, praying for us. I want to invite you to take your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Joel. We're going to be in Joel, Joel, chapter number two. Great to see Joel and Betty. I uh, was just talking with Betty, and uh, a lot of us have been praying for uh, Sister Betty and uh, the health situation there, and uh, things are going just great with her. We really do appreciate uh, the update that she's been giving us, and so that's a real blessing. <clears throat> Joel chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 28 through 31. Joel chapter 2, 28 through 31. <clears throat> I keep on emphasizing this over and over and over and over again. You must allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. We've lost that in the church today, Brother Tom. We must allow Scripture to interpret Scripture using parallel passages of what we would call inductive Bible study. Compare Scripture with Scripture in order to ascertain more information. And the reason why Christians today are not doing that is because they're, they're, they're embracing this off-the-wall doctrine that they're getting, unfortunately, from Christian TV, Christian radio, or Hollywood. For that matter, you must allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. One of the biggest errors that's being propagated out there today, and, and I've heard this time and time again, we are right now in the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. They're saying that right now we are in the tribulation period. And some of those guys who adhere to this nonsense would say, oh, we're right now experiencing the seal judgments. Others would say, right now we're experiencing the trumpet judgments. Or they'll even go as far as to say, we're right now experiencing the vile or the bold judgments. I'm going to prove to you tonight that that is not the case. 
We are not in the 70th week. We are not in the seven-year period of tribulation. We are still in what age? The church age that began where? Pentecost. I don't want to give away my whole message. That was established at Pentecost up until now. We have had 2,000 years of church age history. We are in the church age. We are in the last days. We are not, and I repeat, we are not in the end times. And again, the reason why they embrace this type of nonsense is because doctrinal integrity has gone out the window. There's no longer any biblical integrity within the church anymore. Embracing all this nonsense that's out there today. Notice with me in Joel chapter 2, uh, the pouring out of God's Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Joel 2.28 says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion, Hartzion, Mount Zion, and in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom... The Lord shall call. Let's pray tonight. Our gracious Heavenly Father, God of Israel, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God and Father of our Messiah, our Savior, who will one day reign as King of kings and Lord of lords in the kingdom to come. Heavenly Father, I ask tonight that you would help us to feast on fresh manna from heaven, that we would hear from heaven and hear from the very heart of God tonight, Lord. Father, I thank you so much for the morning services, for using Brother Tom for Sunday school and uh, allowing me to preach this morning. But Lord, we want, we want to hear something new tonight. We want to hear from heaven tonight. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would dictate everything that is said behind this pulpit tonight. Lord, that you would help me to preach in the Spirit and not to preach in the flesh. And that everything that I do preach on, Lord, would be beneficial to all the hearers that are present here at East Bay Baptist Church and those that are watching uh, via live stream. And Lord, once again, we pray that if there is that one person here tonight and they do not have the assurance of going to heaven when they die or that they'll even go up in the rapture, Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would call upon the name of the Lord, as we read here in Joel 2.32, that they would call upon the name of the Lord, quoted by Paul in Romans 10.13. They would call upon the name of the Lord and get saved and be ready, Lord, for that wonderful event we call the rapture of the church. So, Father, thank you for what you're about to do now, and we pray that your will be done. <clears throat> for it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen and amen. Folks, as I stated many times, in the past, one of the most abused doctrines in the church today is the doctrine of eschatology, the doctrine of last things. Bible prophecy is one of the most abused, misused doctrines in the church today. It is abused, it is misused, leading to people becoming confused. The doctrine of Bible prophecy, eschatology, has become tarnished because of over-the-top irresponsible, yes, irresponsible Bible prophecy teachers that are out there today. The world doesn't take it seriously anymore. And can you really blame them? Because of all these false predictions that have taken place over the years. Not coming from the cults, I'm talking from within the church. Biblical integrity has gone out the window with misinterpretation, misapplication, and an unbelievably bad hermeneutical approach to the doctrine of Bible prophecy. What is hermeneutics? If you're in Bible seminary or in a Bible institute, you're going to take a doctrine in hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science of biblical interpretation. Who is speaking? 
Who is he speaking to? What is he speaking about? You must look at it for its grammatical, historical, contextual, and very important, folks, literal interpretation. And that rule of thumb is no longer being applied in the church today. And I, I got to say, one of the guys that is well known for doing this stuff is Perry Stone. I used to watch Perry Stone way back in the day. I'm talking in the 90s. I've, I've even seen him preach at a prophecy conference in uh, Tampa, Florida. But today, the guy doctrinally bought the farm. And Perry Stone is one of those, uh, well, I guess you would call one of those hyper-charismatic individuals uh, in the church today. And this is what he recently said, recently, that God gave him two revelations about the rapture. Uh-oh, that means a red flag already went off in your head, Brother Tom. Because the moment he made that statement, a red flag went off in my Anybody who tells you from Beth Moore all the way down, anyone who tells you that God has given them revelation, you need to check that. You need to check it by the authority of the Word of God. God does not give modern-day revelation today. And anybody who says that God has given them a revelation, I'm sorry, they are lying to you. They're liars. All the revelation that you and I have today is contained within the 66 books of Scripture, the 39 books in the Old Testament and the 27 books in the New Testament. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, that is all the revelation that you and I need today. So people like this need to be avoided at all. Two revelations concerning the rapture. We don't need so-called revelation from this guy. We already have revelation concerning the rapture. And it came from Jesus Christ in John 14, verses 1 through 3, and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. We don't need any so-called revelation from people like this today. Because people like that, all they want to do is magnify themselves in the eyes of the people. That's false doctrine, what he's teaching, folks. God has already given us revelation about the rapture, and it is in the word of God. People like Perry Stone, who make claims like this, they look to exalt themselves and not the word of God. Amen. That's what I mean by the abuse of Bible prophecy. Many of you recently know that this guy uh, just passed away, and I'm not trying to besmirch uh, his memory, but Pat Robinson died at the age of 93 years old. This guy has done incredible harm to the subject of Bible prophecy. The guy, I should say now, was a post-tribulationist. He believed that you are going to go through the whole entire seven-year period of tribulation to experience the seal judgments if you survive it, the trumpet judgments if you survive that, and the vile judgments as well. This guy has made so many false predictions from the 80s going all the way up to the early 2000s. False prediction after false prediction after false prediction. But yet this guy had so many followers over the years, and he has done incredible damage to the doctrine of eschatology, so much damage to the doctrine of Bible prophecy, even to the point in 2020, this is what he said in 2020. God gave me revelation. God told me that Donald Trump would win the election. Well, he did not win. Whether you believe it was stolen from him or not, that's not the point. The point is this guy made a false prediction. He made a false prediction amongst many false predictions that he's made. The other one, I believe, was in um, 2017. This is what he said. America is going to come under a terror. God told me this. America is going to come under a terrorist attack, which will result in mass killings of Americans across the United States. Now, I don't know if it's nuclear because God didn't tell me it was nuclear, but I believe it's going to be nuclear. You got to you got to watch out for people like him, people like Perry Stone. That you know they're all over. The television networks that all over the world, they got millions and millions of followers, throwing their millions and millions of dollars, and yet they're teaching 
false doctrine. Get him back to Perry Stone. This is what he said. And Dr. Baker and I heard this when we were in Israel watching some Christian TV. And I don't watch Christian TV. I just don't. But we were just flipping through the channels, and this guy was on some type of a Christian TV. No, not him, but Perry Stone. This is what Perry Stone said. You ready? There are five prerequisites you need to meet in order to go up in the rapture. Brother Tommy said there are five prerequisites you need to meet in order to go up in the rapture. Uh, Mr. Stone, no, you don't need to meet five prerequisites. You only need to meet one prerequisite. You must be born again. Amen. This is what happens when you add to the word of God. Does the Bible want to add into the word of God? Of course, Revelation 22, 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his power out of the book of life and from the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. These guys play with the word of God like it's a big joke to them. They don't take it any longer for its grammatical, historical, contextual, uh, literal interpretation. They fail to apply inductive Bible study. They fail to compare Scripture with Scripture. There are not five prerequisites. There's only one prerequisite. Ye must be born again. Right. Folks, listen. When we go beyond the Scriptures, we are going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. There are so many doctrines of demons within the church today. The church has been inundated with doctrines of demons. These doctrines of devils are being propagated on YouTube, Christian TV, Christian radio, Facebook, other social media networks out there today. Our doctrine, and again, our doctrine should not come from social media. Our doctrine should come from the Word of God. Bible doctrine, the B-I-B-L-E, that's a book for me. I stand alone on the KJV, the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible. Amen? Amen. It's a, it's a self-study from God's Word that we should be doing on a daily basis. Study. It's a filthy word in the church today. Study. To show thyself approved unto God, 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us. If, if you're going to watch someone on social media, watch somebody on Christian TV, or listen to someone on Christian radio, make sure that they are a biblicist. We talked about that word. What, what is a biblicist? A biblicist is one who applies the Bible literally. First and then figuratively only when the context demands it. You do not allegorize the scriptures unless the Bible itself is telling you to do so. And if it doesn't, you look at it for its literal interpretation. If you're looking at all the symbolisms in Daniel or in the book of Revelation, you look for a literal interpretation behind the symbolism. And who's going to interpret the symbols? Not August Rosado. The Bible and the Bible alone will interpret all those symbols for you. That's what a biblicist is. Pastor Tony Barboza is a biblicist. Brother Tom Calkins is a biblicist. I would like to think of myself as a biblicist. Brother Chris Barrows, a biblicist. We all need to be biblicists. Right. Looking at the word of God for its plain sense interpretation. Right. He or she needs to read God's word for its plain sense interpretation. Remember, if the plain sense makes sense, don't look for, don't look for any other sense or you will end up with... The Bible is its best own interpreter, and we need to approach it for its grammatical, historical, contextual, and literal interpretation. And this approach has become almost non-existent in the church today. And many of these guys who are over-the-top Bible prophecy teachers, many today believe that we are already in the tribulation period. They are saying we are right now experiencing some form of the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. So they take all these present natural disasters uh, in the present to prove uh, their view. So we see the commencement point for the 69 weeks, which happened at around uh, 445 B.C., what Nehemiah restoring the streets and the walls of the city of Jerusalem. That was the commencement point. The 69 weeks going all the way unto the Messiah, uh, uh, who would die on the 69th week, the death of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, his crucifixion put an end to the 69 weeks of 
Daniel's prophecy because we know that the Messiah was cut off between 30 and 31 A.D. Now we have the establishment of the church age. We are in the church age right now. We are right in this period here right now. And we know that at the rapture of the church, the church will be taken out. Then somewhere down the line, the ruler from the revived Roman Empire will come on the scene, confirm the covenant with many for one week, and then that will kick off that seven-year period of tribulation, divided into two periods. The first half, 1,260 days. The last half, 1,260 days. The first half, three and a half years. The last half, three and a half years. The first half, 42 months. The last half, 42 months. 2,520 days in all. 2,520 days is exactly seven years. Amen. That's all based on the Jewish lunar calendar because it has everything to do with the Jew and it has nothing to do with you. Why? It's a time of Jacob's trouble. And we all know who Jacob is. Israel. Genesis 32, 28, 2 Kings 17, 34. This has everything to do with unbelieving Israel. So a lot of these guys will go ahead and say that we are right now in the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. Folks, I am here to tell you that that is false doctrine. Amen? That is false doctrine. This is what I mean by biblical credibility being shot today, going out the window today, because there is a departure from the plain sense approach to Scripture. And we see nonsense like this being taught over and over and over again. So they'll look at someone like me and say, well, August, we got to be in the tribulation period because look what's going on with the moon. It's turning red. Doesn't the Bible talk about a red moon? Yeah, but that's in the 70th week, man. Not in the here and now. And what's causing that red moon? It's not apocalyptic. It's a disaster, a fire going on in Canada. So this is from the Fox Weather right here. Why wildfire smoke is turning the moon red. I said, that's a pretty interesting uh, news article. Why would wildfire smoke turn the moon blood red? A nearly full moon rose over Philadelphia on Monday night with an eerie red glow due to the ongoing wildfires in Canada. When I was preaching in Canada, uh, we were there, what, about a month ago, Patty? Preaching at North Country Baptist Church. Uh, the pastor's sister lives very near that very, uh, area. And she was calling Pastor Crow almost every day, giving him an update on the fires and, and things of that sort. She said, we haven't been told to evacuate yet, but we are on uh, standby. But that article went on to say, in some areas, thousands of miles away from the wildfires, the smoke is also causing the moon to glow blood red. A blood moon might sound familiar because it happens during a total lunar eclipse when Earth lines up between the moon and the sun, causing the light from the edges of Earth's atmosphere to cast a reddish hue on the moon during the eclipse. Now, according to NASA, air molecules from the smoke in Earth's atmosphere cause light to scatter out most of the blue light, leaving the remaining red light to create a red glow on the moon. The same effects apply to the sun. New Yorkers have noticed the sun has a pink or red tint to it because of the wildfire smoke. So then these prophecy sensationalists will jump on this. They will seize the moment of this story and say, this is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. No, it is not. Going back to John Hagee. In 2017, he wrote this book called The Four Blood Moons. And you know something? That guy went laughing all the way to the bank. He talks about these four blood moons, and the fourth moon will be a major sign to the nation of Israel. And when that red moon appeared, it wasn't even seen in Israel. How could it be a major sign to Israel if it wasn't even seen in Israel? But yet this guy made millions off those books. Let me ask you something. Who's talking about four blood moons today? Yeah, anybody talking about four blood moons? No, why? The drama, the hype, the sensational, it's all past. These guys have made millions off of it. So now they're trying to conjure up, if you will, something else in order to make a buck on that as well. We've got to avoid people like that, ladies and gentlemen. We have to avoid people like that. We looked at Joel chapter 2. 
28 through 31, which, by the way, is a dual prophecy because verses 28 and 29 have already been fulfilled. When was it fulfilled? On the day of Pentecost with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. Now, this was a partial fulfillment, amen? This was a partial fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. It was a partial fulfillment, not the full fulfillment. How do I know that? Peter the Apostle is addressing the Jewish crowd at Pentecost. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Let's go there. Acts chapter 2. And we'll look at verses 14 through 18. Acts chapter 2. And let me see if you catch this without, without me saying anything to you. Let me see if you catch this. Acts chapter 2. And let's look at verse number 14. Let's see if anyone here catches this. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse number 14. Peter is addressing the Jewish crowd. I had a guy say, well, they weren't Jews you got to start reading your Bible, man. I mean, this, this is really getting monotonous, right? How, what do you mean they're not Jews? Okay, let's see if they're not Jews. Look at Acts 2.14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of... Sounds like Jews to me. And all ye that dwell at... Obviously, they're Jews. I don't know where these guys... Let me more. Be this known unto you... And hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. So it was about roughly 9 a.m. on Jewish time. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Did you catch that? This was spoken. By the prophet Joel. He never said this was the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. Words mean things, right? So why would Peter say this was spoken by the prophet Joel and not fulfilled by the prophet Joel? Because verses 28 and, 20, uh, uh, 28 and 29 of Joel 2 was already fulfilled. Not verses 30, 31, and 32. That would still be what? future when the heavens go into an apocalyptic cataclysm if you will so peter did not say this was a fulfillment he said this was spoken by the prophet job because the eschatological events of verses 30 through 32 have not been fulfilled as of yet let me read on verse 17 and it shall come to pass in the last day saith god i will pour out my spirit upon all flesh now he's quoting joel 2:28 I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. Let me ask you this. Was all these cataclysmic, apocalyptic events happening on the day of Pentecost? No. Even though he's quoting Joel chapter 2 here, verses 28 through 32, what he's saying is, is that the first half of that prophecy was already fulfilled with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God upon 120 Jews. And thus we have the birth of the church. I have a serious problem with some pastors who would actually say, Brother Tom, that they do not believe that the church was born on the day of Pentecost. You know what they'll say? They'll say the church was established in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I beg to differ. Again, words mean things, right? At Caesarea Philippi, at the foot of Mount Hermon, where Todd and I go and evangelize the IDF, what Jesus said is, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will, right. not I have, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. Jesus did not say, I have 
built my church. He said, I will build my church. And when was that fulfilled? Acts chapter number 2. i got to say, folks, it's nothing but ignorance of the Feast of Leviticus chapter number 23. Clearly and unambiguously, we know Jesus fulfilled the first four of those feasts in Leviticus chapter 23. How do I know that? He was crucified on Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread. He rose from the dead on first fruits. What did he do on Pentecost? Shavuot, Feast of Weeks in Hebrew. He sent the Ruach HaKodesh. He sent the Holy Spirit of God. Thus a fulfillment of uh, 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 Joel chapter 2 verses 28 uh, and 29. Obviously, folks, that's the case here. Because when you look in uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42, it says this. That, uh, that then they that gladly received this word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Folks, that's what you call a biblical revival. We got all these so-called revivals going on in these churches today, and the world's still a mess. One day right here, 3,000 souls, Jewish souls, come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this with me for a moment. In Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 28, 3,000 Jews perished at Sinai. And here in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 3,000 Jews received the gift of eternal life. Verse 42, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's Bible doctrine. Wasn't their own little personal doctrine. That's Bible doctrine. And fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and and prayers. Drop down to verse 47. For those of you who don't believe the church was born on the day of Pentecost, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily as such should be saved. Pentecost, the birth of the church and the partial fulfillment, ladies and gentlemen, of Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. The latter half of that verse is still future. It is still eschatological because in Peter's day on Pentecost, the heavens did not go into an apocalyptic cataclysmic convulsion if you will. It was the birth of the church with the Holy Spirit of God coming upon 120 Jews. The latter half of Joel's prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. When we look at the book of Revelation, it speaks of only one red moon. Not four. One red moon becoming like blood. Not four blood moons. It's falsely taught by people like John Hagee back in the past. And we look in Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. If we're in the tribulation period now, as some of these guys are saying, has anybody just recently seen a pitch black sun? I haven't. Now we do see a red moon. It's no longer red, I don't think, but that's because there's a wildfire, a massive wildfire going on right now. And they'll even tell you what that massive Canadian wildfire, that's a fulfillment of Revelation chapter 8. They'll go and they'll actually say that to you. That's a fulfillment of Revelation chapter number 8. Again, no longer any biblical integrity among Christians in the church today. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. I have not seen a pitch black sun lately. If we are in the tribulation period now, specifically under the seal judgments, when did recently the people of the world run to the hills and the rocks and say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb? Look at this right here, Revelation 6, 15-17. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Can anybody tell me when this just recently happened? When did we see the president and the vice president run for the hills? When did we just recently see the prime ministers of the earth run to the hills? 
When did we just recently see the people of the nations of the world running under the mountains, under the caves, under the When did that just recently happen? It didn't. Why? It's still future. It's eschatological. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, God the Father, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Here's how bad it's getting, folks, when it comes to Bible prophecy. These guys who teach a pre-wrath rapture will say the first half of the tribulation period is a wrath of man. Uh, wrath of man. One half of the last half of the tribulation period is the wrath of Satan, and about a year and a half of it is the wrath of God. That's baloney. All seven years is the wrath of God. By the way, who opens the seal judgments? Is it man? Who opens it? I saw when the lamb, oh, that's Jesus Christ, right? And when the lamb opens the seals, that unleashes the wrath of God, which produces uh, at least uh, one-fourth of humanity wiped out. Close to two billion people, according to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 7. When did two billion people just recently die? On planet Earth. If we're in the sealed judgments right now, when did one-fourth of humanity die? Look at Revelation 6 eight quickly. Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 8. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, opens the seals. And we see in Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, a fourth of humanity, to do what? To kill. With what? Sword, that's war. Hunger, that's famine. Death, global death. And with the beasts of the earth, animal attacks, or maybe even viruses from animals, or maybe even... But when did this just recently happen? If we're in the tribulation period right now, when did that recently happen? You can combine World War I and World War II and still not come close to that number. Not even close, Brother Tom. We're looking at at least 2 billion people dead just from the opening of the sealed judgments, and that's by Jesus Christ. Now let's go to Revelation chapter number 9. Actually, Revelation chapter number 8 is what I wanted to look at. Revelation chapter number 8. And notice with me, please, in verses 1 and 2. Revelation 8, 1 and 2. Now the trumpet judgments are about to be unleashed on earth. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw seven angels which stood before man. I saw seven angels which stood before Satan. I saw seven angels which stood before God. And to them were given what? Seven trumpets. In Hebrew, Sheba Shofarim. Seven shofars. Seven trumpets. And when these angels blow these shofars or the trumpets, it unleashes more of the wrath of God upon the earth. So some of these guys would jump on Revelation 8-7, Revelation 8-8. A third part of the trees were burnt up. All green grass was burnt up. Look what's going on in Canada right now. Folks, when it talks about a third of the world's vegetation being burned up, we're talking half of planet Earth's vegetation going up in flames. Is that going on right now? No. What we see right now is isolated in Canada. The fires in California, that's isolated in California. That is not half of the world's vegetation. So again, these guys just go way off the deep end. Just from the sealed judgments alone, at least 2 billion out of 8 billion people on earth will be wiped out. Folks, you cannot look at recent activities of events happening in isolated areas and say, well, that's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. The wildfires in Canada and California are not a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And a moon looking blood red because of the smoke from the Canadian fires is not a fulfillment of Revelation chapter 6. And verse number 12, the Bible talks about a third of the world's vegetation being burned up. That's half of the world's population, which will lead to starvation, which is why you have that rider on the black horse. And what is he carrying? Scales, balances in his hand. And what is he saying? He's saying, touch not the oil or the wine. 
A measure of wheat for a penny. Three measures of barley for a penny. Don't touch the oil and the wine because there's going to be such a severe restriction and cap on food during the tribulation period. What was a denarii? What was a, um, a, a Roman coin back in the day? It was a Roman denarius. It was only enough to buy one day's supply of food, and that wasn't even enough at that time. We need to be careful, folks, with over-the-top, sensational prophecy teachers who seek to make a name for themselves with a dramatic abuse of Bible prophecy. We are not in the tribulation period. And the church, you, the bride of Christ, the brethren, will not see one day of that tribulation period because of the promise that we got, we get from the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from. Keep us from what, Jesus? The hour of temptation. That's the seven-year period of tribulation. To come upon all the world, you're not even included in this term. To try them, not you, us, them. Who's them? Unbelieving Israel. The unbelieving Gentile nations of the world. To try them who dwell on the earth. Notice how it's emphasized right here. Keep thee from. That's the Greek word ek. E-K, I will keep you from. Jesus did not use a Greek word, dia, D-I-A, to see you through it. He said, ek, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation. To come upon all the world to try those who dwell on the earth. We will not see one day of that tribulation period. And we also have promises like Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath of come. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And the words right here, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also ek, keep thee from the hour of temptation. That final 70th week of Daniel's prophecy based on the Jewish lunar calendar of a 360 day year. You cannot fit those numbers into our Gregorian solar calendar based on the sun. It doesn't fit. You take 2,520 times, folks, that's seven years. That, okay, take 360 times 7, I meant to say. Take 360 times 7, that's 2,520. 2,520 days is exactly 7 years. You take 2,520 divided by 2, you come up with a number found in Revelation 11.3. What is that number? I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy how many days? 1,260 days. First half of the tribulation period. Then, Revelation 12, 6, and the woman, that would be Israel, Genesis 37, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had the place prepared of God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Last half of the tribulation period. 2,520 days in all. This has everything to do with Israel, and it has nothing to do with the church. As I said this morning, who's in a state of unbelief, Israel or the church? Israel. Israel's in a state of unbelief. Take my word for it. In all the 33 times I've been there, Israel is in a state of unbelief. They're back in the land, back in unbelief, in preparation for that final seven-year period, the time of Jacob's trouble. Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. He ain't talking about Christians. Thy people and thy holy city. Thy people, the Jews, the holy city, the city of Jerusalem. In respect to the church, we're not there. Because the church is mentioned 25 times in the book of Revelation. 19 times before Revelation 4.2, way before the tribulation period begins. And six times after Revelation 19.11. This is way after the tribulation ends. And in between chapter 6 through 19, 
that cover the seals, the trumpet, and the vial of bold judgments. There is not one mention of the church being on the earth at all. You can't ignore that. But they'll try to do any type of fancy footwork with you, even make things up as they go along, Brother Chris, to say, oh, the church is going to be there. Well, how do you know that? Well, it talks about saints being on the earth. Well, we know that. You're not telling me nothing new. What saint are you talking about? Old Testament saints? Church age saints? Or tribulation saints? Obviously, they're tribulation saints who got saved after the rapture during the tribulation period. And if the church ain't on the earth, who's preaching the gospel? God knows what he's doing. Looking at Revelation chronologically, chapter 11, God raises up two witnesses. They're preaching the gospel. Because they're preaching, Revelation 7, 144,000 male Jewish Israelites. 12,000 each from the 12 tribes of Israel. Don't allegorize that and say it's a church. They're Jews. 12,000 each from the 12 tribes of Israel. That happens during the first half of the tribulation period. They're preaching the gospel. Multitudes are getting saved. When they're finished... Last half of the 1,260 days, Revelation 14, 6, God dispatches an angel to circumnavigate the globe to preach the everlasting gospel to them, to them who dwell on the earth, to every kindred and tongue and nation. The church ain't here, but the gospel will still be preached. And multitudes all over the world are going to be saved. That's what you call a biblical revival. <clears throat> you got these <clears throat> revivals. Going on today, America's still a mess. The nations of the world are still a mess. And things are getting worse. Right. I'm not saying you shouldn't have revivals. Knock yourself out. But it's not changing the world. This revival is only isolated within the four walls of that church. It's only isolated within there. It's not affecting the whole world. You want to talk about a biblical revival? It's going to happen in the tribulation period when millions upon millions and millions are going to get say that is a biblical revival. And it will happen when the church is long gone. And these three groups are preaching the gospel during the tribulation period. We are not here. I will keep thee from the hour of temptation to come upon all the world to try them who dwell on the earth. The church is not the object of God's wrath. Church is the object of God's love. We are the bride of Christ. We are not the harlot of Christ. Amen. Are you with me? Amen. We're not the harlot of Jesus Christ. We are the bride. We've got some Christians on Facebook now that are denying that we're the bride of Christ. It just keeps getting better, brother. It gets, keeps getting better and better and better every day. The false doctrine that these Christians are embracing today is absolutely unprecedented. We, we just don't have any... Biblical integrity within the church anymore, especially in the area of Bible prophecy. We must look at the scriptures for their plain sense interpretation. The first half of Joel's prophecy was fulfilled 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. When we are in the old city of Jerusalem, we are at the southern area of the Temple Mount where you can still see the remains of 2,000-year-old steps that would have led up to the triple gate. You can still see the remains of that triple gate from Jesus' day 2,000 years ago. There are triple gates over here that when you walk further down, there are the remains of two double gates. The triple gate would have allowed the mass flow of crowds to go into the triple gate into the Temple then they would exit from those double gates you can still see today on the southern area of the Temple Mount. And when you are in that very area, you know where you are? You are standing in the place where the events of Acts chapter 2 took place 2,000 years ago. The day of Pentecost. When the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit of God, came and filled one 120 Jews right there in that very area. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit never came from within, but the Holy Spirit was without. After the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, now the Holy Spirit 
comes within and he dwells in you. Your body is his temple, is it not? You are the temple. The Beit HaMikdash. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. He lives right here. That fulfilled John chapter 14, John chapter 15, and John chapter 16 with the promise of the Father. Amen. And that promise was fulfilled right there in Acts chapter 2. The Feast of Shavuot. That's Hebrew. Feast of Weeks, or you call it in the Greek, Pentecost. Can anybody tell me what Pentecost means? Fifty. Fifty. He was crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, rose from the dead on first fruits. Then God told the Jewish people this. I want you to count seven Sabbaths, 49 days. Then on the 50th day, you would celebrate Shavuot, Feast of Weeks, or in the Greek, Pentecost. 50 days after Jesus' ascension back into heaven from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit came. Don't tell me that the church was not born on the day of Pentecost. You just simply do not have a grasp on the seven feasts of Leviticus chapter number 23. Jesus Christ fulfilled the first four of those feasts. And guess what he's going to do in the future? Fulfill the last three. Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and then, <coughs> excuse me, Tabernacles. How is he going to fulfill the Feast of Trumpets? Now, I know we all say the rapture because it does involve a trumpet, right? But mind you, these are Jewish feasts, not Christian feasts. There are no signs that precede the rapture. There are no feasts or events that have to be fulfilled in order for the rapture to take place. That's for Christians. Amen? Technically, feasts of trumpets will be fulfilled at the second. We've got a few moments left right here. I want you to back up with me to Matthew 24. Let's go to Matthew 24. You've got to see this. Matthew 24, and we're going to begin in verse number 27. Matthew 24 and verse 27 says this. Matthew 24, 27. This is a second coming passage, not a rapture. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That should take you back to Daniel 7, 13. When the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days. Amen? Verse 28. And wheresoever the carcass is, there will the egos be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the what? And the what? That's in the tribulation period. That's the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Joel 2, verses 30 through 32. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, when they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a... Now a trumpet sounds before the tribulation period. But that's for the church only. But then seven years later, another trumpet sounds. And that is for God's elect. Who's God's elect? Man, we've blown that word out of water, out of proportion. Isaiah 45, 4, Israel, mine elect. That term is not limited to the church only. Israel is also called God's elect. You have the national election of Israel and the ecclesiastical election of the church. Neither usurp the other or this dreadful replacement theology garbage that's being propagated out there in the church today with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other he will gather the saved of the tribulation period from the four corners of the earth to the city of Jerusalem for the inauguration of the millennial kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. How do I come to that conclusion? 
a plain sense interpretation of Scripture. Allowing the Bible to interpret the Bible. Avoiding all that trash and that nonsense that's being propagated out there today. That will fulfill Isaiah 27, 13, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 4, Isaiah 45, and verse number for all parallel passages. We don't have a whole lot of time to look at that right now. But folks, what am I telling you? What we see going on right now is nothing more than preliminary. Preliminary events that will set the stage for what is to come. The eschatological scenario that will play out in God's word. Bible prophecy. I am here to tell you that a seven-year period of tribulation, folks, is on the horizon. It is on the horizon, and we will not be here when it all comes down. Jesus is coming soon. And I am afraid that this lack of biblical integrity in the church will only worsen as we draw closer to the Lord Jesus' soon return. Until then, let's win souls. Let's proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world. That's perishing. And people will perish unless they receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. We know the trumpets go to sound one day, right? Don't you just love hearing the sound of a shofar? It's absolutely beautiful, especially when you're at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. You see rabbis blowing ram's horns, actual biblical shofars, ram's horns, or you'll see them with a Yemenite shofar like the one I have right here. I bought this in Israel in 2010. The sound of the shofar is absolutely beautiful. And I believe it will be a shofar that we will hear in heaven when Jesus Christ descends from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We are not in the tribulation period. The tribulation period is still future. Not that far off, but future. As late Dr. Jimmy DeYoung used to say, when you see the signs for Christmas appearing in your department stores, you know that there's another holiday that's even nearer, Thanksgiving. When you see signals, if you will, for lack of a better term, of a seven-year period of tribulation about to come upon this world, we know that there's another event that's even nearer, and that is the rapture of the church. Right. Faster than we can blink the human eye. He's going to take us to the Father's house. And when he takes us to heaven, help me, <laughs> when he takes us to heaven, we are going to be there for seven years. <laughs> a brief seven years. <clears throat> While the earth below is going through a seven-year period of tribulation. And when we are up there in heaven, how many Streets that we're going to be walking on. Revelation 21, 21, Revelation 22, 2, only talks about one street. <laughs> Did I emphasize that enough? One street. <laughs> Not streets. <laughs> Plural. One street. Brother Chris and I, Brother Tom. Brother Joe, Sister Barry, uh, Barry, <laughs> Betty, <laughs> Barry, <laughs> we're all going to be living on Main Street. One street. I know these songs are beautiful, but some of them can depart Scripture just a wee bit there 
Here's another few. On that bright and cloudless morn. Oh, wait a minute. It doesn't say it's going to be cloudless on the day of the rapture. We're going to meet him in the clouds. So we should be singing it. On that bright and cloudy morning, he's going to take us to the Father's house. And we will be in heaven for that brief seven years. His coming is so near. My advice is please be ready. Call upon the name of the Lord and get saved because tomorrow just might be too late. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you again. Thank you for your precious word. Father, if there's someone out there tonight, somebody watching via live stream on the church's Facebook or YouTube channel, and they're probably sitting there tonight and they're saying, I don't have the assurance of going to heaven when I die. Well, if the trumpet was a sound right now, I would be left behind to go through that terrible seven-year period of tribulation. I don't want to be left behind. I don't want to go to hell for the rest of eternity. I need to get saved right here, right now. And if there's someone that's right now watching, Lord, all they simply need to do is, by faith, call upon the name of the Lord. Repent of their sins. Change of heart, change of mind, change of attitude. And by faith, receive the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. Jesus said of Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. will sup with him and he with me. Jesus Christ is waiting for an invitation to come into the heart, to come into the lives of those who are unregenerate. And Lord, I pray that in these last days in which we live, would you help us, dear Lord, to lead these people to the saving power of the cross to the risen Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us. As John said, it said in 1 John 2.22, and he is a propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, the believers, but for the sins of the whole world, the unbelievers. Jesus died for all. Salvation is available for all. Salvation is sufficient for all, but it's efficient for those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. Lord, help us to be astute students of the word. Help us, Lord, to study, to show thyself approved unto God so that, Lord, we can differentiate between all the false doctrine that's out there in the church today and good Bible doctrine <clears throat> that we can weed out the nonsense, the hype, the drama, the sensationalism that many Christians today are propagating, Lord. Father, please help us, and may your will be done during this time of invitation as we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.